0: Good day to you all and a big welcome. My name is Mark Washbourne. I'm CEO of ReadyTech. And today what you're going to hear is a live webcast discussion that I undertook as part of the Work podcast series, where we seek to unravel the many mysteries of the future of work and education. Yes, indeed. It's a pleasure to introduce my guest for this podcast, Mariam Mohammed. Mariam is the founder of Money Girl, a financial education business on a mission to create a movement of women who are more confident with money and, as a result, give them more control over their lives. But our guest is not just a successful social entrepreneur. What you're going to hear is an Australian higher education success story, with Mariam migrating to Australia from Pakistan to attend the University of Sydney. You'll hear how she became the youngest ever president of the university's postgraduate representative association, and by applying what she had learned in her master's of community development, she was able to increase engagement with that association by 600%, and that's no small feat. Marion was also the winner of the Dell Policy Hack for a proposal where she tackled female entrepreneurs' access to capital, and check this out. She was named in the AFR's 100 Women of Influence in 2019. I think you're really going to enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with a wonderful human being. This is a great story of overcoming barriers in society, and it's also a story of hope. Also, at the end, you're going to hear some really engaging Q&A from our live audience.
1: So let's get right into it. Mary Mohammed, massive thank you for being on from all of us. Welcome, and may I ask, how the devil are you?
2: I am fantastic this morning. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. I am fantastic. I actually quite like how slowed down we are during the totally. pandemic. That kind of sounds a little bit messed up, but I like this pace of life, so I'm doing well.
1: I'm hearing that from a lot of people. Couldn't agree more. I think that extraordinary times, right, that just going to go down in history, but uh I think a lot of people are seeing, obviously, a hell of a lot of bad and a lot of destruction of of, of jobs. But also, there's been some really positive things that I think that hopefully we can take forward and take away, which is probably a bit more stillness in our lives.
2: And I hope we don't go back to the old normal. I I hope we come out of this with a new normal.
1: Totally agree. So start by telling us a bit about your story. Obviously, I introduced you at the top. If you wouldn't mind telling us your own personal story and also about your rationale for creating Money
2: Absolutely. So I am from Pakistan. I came to Australia in 2013, initially to do my undergraduate. And the reason I came to Australia was because a very long time ago, my parents used to actually live here back in the 70s. We had a historic connection almost to Australia. So although I was born and brought up in Pakistan, I had never been to Australia before. I knew of this place that existed. And in my late teens, I was in an abusive relationship and I just really needed to get out of there. I didn't feel like I could access the support that I needed in Pakistan. I felt like if I stayed, I would die either way if I stayed. So I needed to just get out of the country. And so I came to Australia. I enrolled in my bachelor's at Sydney Uni. I had $300 in my pocket when I landed in Australia because. I thought that's a lot of money because in Pakistan, that's a lot of money. I landed here and realized that was less than two weeks of my rent in Sydney. And so, very quickly, I was at Sydney Uni's door saying, I can't pay my rent (laughs) and (laughs) I can't feed myself. So, what can we do? Because I do want to study and graduate because I did believe that my education would be my emancipation, uh, you know, and I really needed to follow through with it. I really wanted to graduate. If not, I was going to go back to that life that I had left behind, right? And so I was very well supported by Sydney Uni in that time. I didn't pay rent for months so that I could feed myself instead uh, until I did get a job and I was able to put together the money and then I paid use it in a lump sum. And I really, really appreciated that because if it had not been for flexible individual support catered to my needs, I I I would have dropped out of uni and I never would have graduated and I probably would have gone back to a life of violence and I would never be sitting here today with you having founded Money Girl and being an AFR woman of influence. You know, like there was so much yet to unlock, but there was just these hurdles in the way that someone needed to help me unlock. And then I, once I finished, I finished my undergraduate actually in filmmaking. So I have a creative background Yeah. and during that time started working a lot in the refugee sector. This all ties in the end. So it will make sense why I'm delving.
1: We are 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 totally sticking (laughs) with you. We are so with you.
2: So I started working in the refugee space, and I was primarily working with women who have survived violence, right? So two things happened there. I decided to formalize my education in the community sector, hence my master's in community development. And two, I kind of really drilled down into women's development. And so in my master's, I researched women's uh, development movements and how policy impacts women's rights in various democracies. So during that time, I was working with refugee women, with women who have experienced sexual violence. And I found through my own experience and that of the women that I was working with that financial independence is a crucial barrier in us leaving those situations. Most of the time, when we do leave, we need emergency support like the kind that I was provided, right? But a lot of the time, we simply don't leave because. We have never been taught what to do with money. So I ventured out and kind of stumbled my way across and figured it out, right? Not everybody wants to do that because that can also be quite dangerous, right? You end up homeless. A lot of us do end up homeless. So financial independence is a key barrier, even for women who have access to money, because they don't feel confident just taking it and leaving because they don't know what to do with it. How am I supposed to take care of myself? And that's kind of the journey that I was on by the time I finished my master's at Sydney Uni. And I was going through this journey with my co-founder and we were discussing how even as an, she is an Australian woman, born, mm-hmm. brought up Australian. And she said, it's not much different for her. She was never taught any of this at school, at home. Right, right. And so if she were ever in a position like myself, she wouldn't know what to do with herself either. Yeah. So we decided to solve that problem for ourselves, essentially. Her and I were solving this problem for ourselves. We were financially educating ourselves, and we found a lack of information. At that time, this is 2017, that was specific to young Australian women. What we were doing at that time was learning from American teachers and then translating that to the Australian financial context for ourselves. And while we were putting in all that hard work, we thought, why don't we just put it in a format that we can give to other Australian women? So we're doing all the hard work anyway. Someone else might as well benefit from it. And that's kind of how Money Girl was born. So we structured our education, um, our own learnings, into a, a structure of what is now... Six workshops, one financial literacy course for young women
1: absolutely love it. I mean, a business I think so many businesses like that founded on such a, a purpose and solving a problem that you found is, is is just such a such a great story. you were quoted as saying and I hope this is right this quote because it was in the media, you said my entire identity seemed to be a disadvantage. Can you tell us a bit about that
2: yeah that so that was that was quite tough, so when I first came to Australia, right? I was kind of escaping the identity of being a woman because a woman was a disadvantage being in Pakistan, right? And I was like, I'm going to go to a country where that is not a disadvantage, right? Mm-hmm. And I kind of look at everything through these rose-tinted lenses that a teenager does. I was like, hey, <laughs> you know, I was an And I was like, oh, this wonderful country, wonderful world. I will not experience sexism here. I will have equal opportunity, and I can do whatever the heck I want, right? And I come here, and I realize sexism is, 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 you know, is, is much, uh, a, a lot more nuanced in that um, right. it still exists, but it's not so overt. Yeah. Look, as a Pakistani woman, I was still very grateful. I was like, look, at least I don't have to walk down the street being harassed constantly. It's just sometimes. You know, it still happens, but it's just sometimes. So, okay, I'm getting a slightly better deal. But then I discovered racism. And look, back home, I, of course, we have a hundred different ethnicities around the country and I am one of the privileged ones. So that's my privilege. I never recognized racism back home, right? But I came here and all of a sudden I was like, wait, why does it matter that I'm brown? Why does it matter that my last name is Muhammad? My God, people got stuck up on that name. Never in my life did I think that that was a thing, you know, because if I was in the U.S. post 9-11, sure. But I was in Australia, you know, like Australians, (laughs) like just chill on the beach. Like that's that's the image that I had. And I was like, why do you care? You know? A restaurant owner once said to me, I don't want a Muhammad serving at my establishment, you know? And I was like, yeah, but what does it matter? Like, you know, who knows? I
1: I heard that you, the article also said you actually thought about changing your name, which which I find so sad, but I guess that just goes to show what a challenge that was.
2: I did. I did, at 19, I was quite beaten down by all of these things, right? I was escaping violence. I was already in a place of trauma. And then... All of this piled on top. I couldn't get myself a job because people were really stuck on the fact that I was a migrant, that my sometimes it was my last name's Muhammad. Sometimes it was that I don't have local experience. So it, it was a bunch of things that I did consider changing my name. And today, of course, I'm glad as hell that I didn't.
1: I think we're all really glad that you didn't change your name. So well done for pushing through. I just want to, I, and I, and I want to ask you, I mentioned it at the top. The, uh, the news uh, that you were in, in the AFR, Women of Influence. Can't resist asking you. Very, very cool. What was it like when you received the news?
2: Uh, <laughs> that was a wonderful, that was a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I didn't know until the morning of it being published in the AFR. And I had just woken up to a message from a dear friend who was also in the list, Ashley Streeter, and she had said, congratulations. And I replied, what for? and she said AFR and I was like yes AFR that's not very explanatory and then she linked me the thing she linked me the announcement and she's like have you not seen this and I I was like I have just woken up and I clicked on the link and I was like holy mother what, <laughs> what? and did you see the people who were on there it was like Karen Phelps was on there and so like Women that I have looked up to in Australia, you know, women whose journeys I have followed and stuff. And I was just like, no way. You know who would, that 19 year old that I'm talking about would never have guessed. And if you told her, girl, that's going to be you in six years, (laughs) she would be like, no way, nah.
1: It's awesome. Congrats again. As I said at the top, I think it's fair to say in COVID 19, we're probably actually removing, aren't we, from from their initial response to, Stage of recovery, and I think that there's no doubt that we're going to see a massive sort of financial impact on employees and young people. Talk, so like to talk a bit more about that. Employers, also students, international students. What what impact has this this event and this environment had on on your thinking, of, particularly around money?
2: Look, I think it brings to the forefront the importance of being in control of our money because we are often just going with the flow and never actually sitting down and thinking about how fragile our financial well-being is a lot of us are living paycheck to paycheck and most of us are two or three paychecks away from being homeless right so yeah. when a tragedy like this is strikes where there are massive losses of jobs right it's suddenly very apparent to us that we were never really very financially secure. So we know that, for example, 2 million Australians couldn't pay an emergency medical bill of a couple of hundred dollars because we don't have a couple of hundred squirreled away for an emergency. Millions of Australians have now lost their jobs and will be relying on government support. But that is for permanent residents and citizens. But there are so many temporary visa holders like international students, who are not accounted for in these stimulus packages, right? And they just fall through the cracks. And the only support that they have access to is community support. And really, it's, it's like yeah. literally down to humanity yeah. to, to help each other out. So it really highlights the importance of being present with what your financial status is Because it's uncomfortable. We don't want to do it in good times because we know that we're going to have to face these uncomfortable truths. But if we do it then for the next time we're in a bad situation, which inevitably happens, right? If it's not a pandemic, it's going to be a recession, which happens once every 10 years. It is going to happen. And in the good times, we need to build our resilience, our financial resilience for those times.
1: And I think partly because we've had good times probably for so long, this has come as such a big shock, right? That's right. I was just going to ask you this, this thing you keep coming back to that, you know, the, the very low financial literacy, not just women, but I think in, in a lot of areas of society, which I think has been the underlying cause for that? You know, is it just hasn't been part of our education system? Is potentially money, money been a taboo subject for people over time?
2: I think there's a couple of things. I think we are one of the first few first generation really of amongst women who will have entered the workforce from the get go. The, the women before us were still like fighting to get back into work after marriage, get back into work after having children and stuff. So they're truly like the guinea pigs and they're the ones who are now retiring and ending up homeless and us here, young women are looking at them and we can see that if that's the trajectory we go on, that's where we're going to end up. Right. So for for women, I think there's a historic disadvantage in terms of being separated from the workforce. Yeah. Um, but then we also have in Australia, we're, we're a wonderful country in that we get a lot of different people coming into Australia. International students who come here and settle, migrants who come here and settle. So, they haven't necessarily gone through the Australian education system. So, assuming you had something in the education system to make Australians more financially literate, you would still end up with a big chunk of the population who is not financially literate because they've come from other places where, yes, money is taboo, where the culture around money is very different. Money is private. There will be more gender norms and age norms around money. So, then you have the migrant population who ends up not catered for, right? And of course, then, For the general Australian population, you've never had, besides besides like bank-sponsored programs, you've never had financial literacy programs in Australia taught at age-appropriate levels throughout a child's development journey because financial literacy, much like any skill in life, like maths, is is something you need to teach at an age-appropriate level at different points of influence in a person's life. So when they're a child, then when they're an adolescent, then when they're in their 20s, and then at different points of influence in their life because you need to teach them new things every time, right? So it's it's building blocks. Mm. So that's that's what we do with Money Girl, for example. We we lay down the one building block, right? Yeah. But uh, we are not gonna solve the problems of the retiring women, right? And yeah, so at yeah, that yeah. point, you still need financial re-education at that time as well. Yeah.
1: yeah. So let's talk about young people. And I don't know if you saw Q&A this week it was on the ABC, and it was overwhelmingly clear that the biggest impact of COVID-19 is, is actually going to be on young people, partly because they're, I guess they're vastly overrepresented in the sectors that have been hit the most and also likely to sort of shoulder a lot of this economic burden that the government really has had to, had to step in and provide you know, into the future. So how do you think about the prospects for young people?
2: Oh, God, that is such a big and tough question. Break it down for me, Mark. The prospects for young people in terms of our economic well-being.
1: Yeah. Big question, isn't it?
2: It's a huge question. And look, I think there's going to be kind of like the GFC, like good and bad things will come out of this for young people. So, for example, when we went through the GFC, one good thing that came out of it for people who were young at that time was that they learned not to rely on employers Um, to always have their backs. And we had the side hustle culture coming. And people are diversifying their income streams and stuff. So I think much like that, like good things will come out of this for young people as well. We will understand the importance of building our financial resilience. We will understand the importance of diversifying our income sources and the importance of not relying on employer or government support because both are not guaranteed.
1: Yeah. See, I didn't need to break it down for you at all. (laughs) (laughs)
2: But then of course, bad bad things will come out of this inevitably, and especially for those who are extra vulnerable, you know, and there's young Australians who have lost jobs in the millions, but are supported by the government, right? And then there are young Australians who are migrants and international students who are just going to fall through everyone's cracks, you know, like just overlapping barriers for some young people. And especially for those people, we really need to consider what us as businesses can do to support them because they are our future employees and customers, right? So if we, if we don't step up to support our communities right now, like as businesses, we will pay the price eventually because these, these people are not, not stupid, right? The young millennials and the Gen Zs that are coming up, they will make their choices of employment, of yeah. buying from businesses based on those values. And if you don't deliver right now, you will suffer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think we've got a community of our own at ReadyTech of, of employers and educators. And I love that. I love that thing you were getting into there around uh, being aligned to, to, to those values. What else do you think that employers can do to sort of encourage financial well-being in their employees amidst everything else that's going on
2: so look i'll give you an example one of the small companies we worked with although everyone is working from home and it's a terrible time right now they decided that right now is a good time to deliver a financial well-being program cool. yeah. to their employees right and so, so employer
1: are taking on the responsibility right. to really bring that that gap that we've all had in financial education
2: right absolutely awesome Because that is their way of stepping up and showing, look, we know you're in trouble. We know you're going through a lot, but here is something that is free for you to access. And even though I, as the business, I'm in trouble, I'm going to pay for this to be delivered to you. And that means something to employees, to young millennial and Z employees who will literally ghost you. If you are not up to their standards, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. this means something to them. And, and it buys long-term loyalty yeah, great from advice. good employees.
1: Yeah, awesome advice. So I'd like to dive a little bit deeper in again into your background and, and your story as a migrant coming to Australia while at university, how it, sh- how it shapes your thinking. And the first thing I, I actually just want to understand is, is how you think about community. So I think you've had a lot of success in in building things with that concept, especially with young women, of course, at, at Money Girl. So how do you go about it? And what can organizations learn from that?
2: Okay, so in terms of a little bit of perspective, coming from Pakistan, I grew up in a, in a collectivist culture, right? right? And we don't have a state in the same manner as you do in Australia. So the state is never watching out for the people. The people are always watching out for the people right? And so therefore, in a country like that, humanity stepping up to take care of its own is not a foreign concept, because who else will, right? So the the problem that we have with international students right now, where it's really up to us to support them, that's I not a foreign concept growing up in Pakistan. So that's kind of the perspective that I come with, is that, I mean, yes, you have you have to have systems in place to support each other. But Who builds those systems and who supports those systems? It's us as people, right? So always, always us as individuals, as businesses and as groups have to have the community at the center of the way we do business. And that's that's kind of how Money Girl is run. That's how all of my initiatives have run. That's how I was able to increase community engagement by 600%, which sounds like a bonkers number, but that's how you do it. If your goal is to engage better with the community, and build, like, bring them into the fold of your business. You gotta put them at the center. You can't do top down or outside in approaches because they're fake as, and we can see right through it. Do
1: you think as well that six hundred percent, you know, is a, is a bonkers, crazy number? And is that is it because also it helps with like a compounding network effect and the snowball sort of grows with community, right?
2: Absolutely. Much like an investment, you put in a lot of effort in the start. But once you get it going, that's right, the community builds itself. It-
1: you always come back to money. That's
2: right. That's like,
1: it's, like, it's, like, like, it's like compound interest, right? <laughs> is that one of your lessons in, uh, in Money Girl, how oh, compound interest works? Oh, it is because yeah.
2: people do not understand the beauty of compounding.
1: I so see you're quite passionate about it. Give us another one. Give us what is a real jewel of a piece of a nugget of advice that we should all know about managing money.
2: About okay, about investing, it yes, is, especially right now when things are bad, when
1: things are tough, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Whew, it is time in the market, not time in the market, okay? Because I think I had the difference between the two. Time in the market means yeah. you're invested in the market for the long term, because in the long term, the market always, always, always ends up better off than it was, yeah, okay? In the history of capitalism the market has never stayed down. Yeah. Yeah? Time in the market is what a lot of us try to do. And we invest as amateurs is like, Oh, can I buy it low and sell it high? Don't do that. Unless you're a trader by profession. Don't do that. Even traders rarely win in that scenario. Okay. Time in the market, invest it and forget it.
1: Patience, 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 right? so uh i'd just like to talk to you about the education system as well from your perspective actually and um
2: oh wait mark i'm so sorry to interrupt before we go forward no not money related but community related when you're building a community remember that don't use tokens if you're trying to build a community be genuine about it yeah authentic be authentic if you want to build a community of young people of women of people of color make sure they're on your boards. Totally. Don't just pander to them in your reports because we can see right through it. So when you're building a community, it is important to do it from within.
1: You can smell the BS a mile away, right?
2: Oh, hells yes.
3: Yeah.
1: From your perspective, how do you think the education, how's the education system working for people, for women? What would you like to see change? What do we need to evolve?
2: Okay, I can only really comment on the tertiary education sector totally. in Australia, right? Because I haven't been through the rest of the education system. Um, I do feel in my experience that especially in the public funded institutions, we do tend to let people fall through the cracks because we just don't think about it. You know, if, if you alone were leading an initiative and I told you, Mark, to make it equitable for indigenous women. How would you do it? You wouldn't know step zero of it, right? So I do find that a lot of the times in the tertiary sector, we are catering to the needs of a very diverse group, but we're not listening to the very diverse group. So our leaders are very homogenous. When we do bring voices on board, it is still only the voices that we want to hear. So when we say women, we'll bring a white woman on board and be like, yep, check. And that just isn't good enough. And what that means is when you design and shape products and services and then end up delivering them, then you find that there's gaping holes in the things that you are doing and the initiatives that you're running. But you can just prevent that mess, like doing the whole thing and then finding holes in it. You can just prevent that by reversing back to the start and just having better representation from the get-go.
1: Yeah, totally get it. I think um, in terms of skills, I, I, a lot of our customers at ReadyTech, a lot of our clients are providers. We're in the skill space. is a big part of what we do. And see you're working with a lot of these young women, and you're seeing this, particularly this really big – it's really a skill gap, isn't it? Financial literacy, understanding of what it is to be financially independent – are there any other skills, gaps that you've noticed or other skills that you think that young people need to be working on?
2: Oh, you don't really get taught real-life skills. Yes. In the education sector at all. Yeah. Unfortunately. So I I didn't get taught, I don't know, I didn't get taught personal branding. <laughs> I didn't get taught how to build my network in Australia, especially as a, as a non-Australian. That was a tough gig. Yeah. You don't get taught a lot of those practical things. Yeah. For me, that kind of looked like, yeah, I, I, I'm someone who just does things and then stumbles, fails, and then I learn, okay, this is how you do it. So that's how I did it. Yeah. Um, and if so, like financial literacy and other life skills, if you're not teaching them, like that's, that's how your students will learn. Yeah. Through so, a lot of error.
1: And uh, entrepreneurship, obviously, you've, you founded Money Girl some ways through purpose, but maybe also through necessity. And, uh, you know, it's gone on to be successful. You mentioned before, you think that there might be more careers like this, whether it's the side hustle or entrepreneurship. There's a lot of challenges in it, aren't there, as well as the opportunity for big successes.
2: That's right. I mean, there are challenges. But I think moving forward, having the young people of today, having seen what the economy came down to today, right? Like those who are teenagers and older yeah. In this in this era, they have seen. Their parents, or they go through it, or they have gone through it, and they have seen how systems fail them, and they will have experienced hardship or seen their loved ones going through hardship. And so, side hustle, gig economy, entrepreneurship is gonna be a normalized thing for that yeah, generation.
3: Totally,
2: it, it was a side hustle was a normalized thing for my generation because we were growing up after our parents had gone through the GFC. And so we understood that the reason you need to have a side hustle is because you never know when employment's going to go. Mm. That's what I think the people growing up today are going to understand moving forward is I can't rely on my employer or my government to have my back when things go sour.
1: Yeah, I guess it's sort of uh, there's also like a lack of safety net, isn't there? Maybe in the gig economy in some ways but you know yeah, oh, yes, and, and, and at an the increased moment increased
2: casualization as well
1: increased casualization right so it's kind of like a fracturing of the economic system and at the moment there's an argument that uh, young people particularly in the gig economy probably don't have the same you know rights and protections that you that you've had traditionally as a full-time employee
2: and i think that's something we're we're discovering now totally. because it's something it's something that's happened post gfc last like 10 years or so increased casualization yeah. It increased side hustles and stuff. And then we're in the next pandemic and we're discovering that, oh, the the bad side to that is you don't have your insurances, you don't have yeah. your retirement fund yeah. is not as well funded, et cetera. And so I think going, going forward, that is something we'll have to cater to because we know now that casuals, so much of the tertiary sector is worked by casuals. But if casuals now see and understand that, they can work for years and have nothing at the end of it. And yeah. just like that, overnight, a faculty will cut one-third of its offerings and therefore one-third of its staff. Yeah. Going forward, uh, we may have trouble accessing employees that way.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. A couple more things from me. just like to talk to you about diversity again. And you mentioned about some of the, I guess, the prejudices that, uh, that, that you had to overcome when you right in Australia, you've got an insider's view of that really, I guess, as a young Muslim woman really interested on that sort of view of Australia. And are we moving in the, in, in the right direction?
2: Look, I think we are moving in the right direction. It's just so slow. I just don't see why Australia as a small protected country that we are, why can't we be pioneers? Is that it? Yeah. Like when pioneer, you're the first one. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like pioneers we're progressive. We're, yeah. Yeah. We're like, we're a small like a good country to do experiments in because it's a kind of controlled environment compared to the
1: whole country's actually been based on immigration
2: yeah so why can't we just do things faster trial things faster and be like hey we have a model for the u.s and uk to copy you know that's that's what i want to do with money girl because my rationale is i'm in australia i can do a Bunch of experiments with a lot less variables. Yeah. Things are a lot more controlled and a lot safer here. And should it work, I can say, hell, see if I have a solution for the US <laughs> and the UK. You know, like, wouldn't that be so cool? So, yeah, we are moving in the right direction. For example, when I first came here, I, I didn't see many people of color on television. So, when Walid Ali won his first Logie, which was, I think, 2014, right. I remember seeing his face and being like, there's a brown man on television. Yeah, Yeah, you know, um, and through. Exactly, and my next thought was, now that there's a brown man, now the brown women can come, because that's how it yeah. goes. It's always men, women, right. white right. women, what, you know, women of color, that's how it goes. So we are, and now you do see more representation on television as well. It's just, if you are sitting outside of Australia and look at our leadership or our television, you would still never actually be able to tell that Australia is a black country, right? So we are moving in the right direction. Mm. We just can be a lot more quicker with it. There really is nothing to lose and everything to gain.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, look, COVID-19 has accelerated a lot, maybe. So I hope this is something that also has accelerated to, to take a more progressive view. So the last thing I want to ask you before we throw over, and, and, and this is one of, my, one of those big questions I like to ask. I think there's really a ton of challenges and barriers out there as we've talked about, right, for young people, uh, for migrants from different cultural backgrounds and for women. You've overcome a lot of those challenges. So what, do you, what is your story, do you think? What can that teach us about hope?
2: God damn, Mark, why you do this?
1: Okay, here, here's a good one for you. Let me break it down. Why should we be optimistic? How do we keep optimistic?
2: Why should we be optimistic? Because there is a still every day to live. Like there is still so much to be done. Like I know we're in a pandemic and stuff, but there, there is still so much that I as money girl want to improve in the world. There is so much that I as Maria Muhammad want to improve in the world in terms of diversity and inclusion. You know, there is still so much work to be done. So why stop?
3: Yeah. What yeah.
2: what is here now will go. So is, why why do you stop?
1: Totally. What does success look like for Money Girl?
2: Success for Money Girl looks like a financial education model for young women that can actually be replicated across the globe. Yeah. And my next stop would be Pakistan.
1: Right? Okay, it's another big mission. I like it. Going to watch that closely. Let's move to Q&A. Let's see what we've got here. So um Mariam, the first one, it's actually a, a question here. There are a lot of women who will need to re-enter the workforce due to COVID-19 disruption to family finances. This is a, one you mentioned earlier, Mariam, so we're going to go back to this one, right? Often divorced women also need to make this leap uh, and uh, might not have savings behind them, right? That's, we know that's a really big problem. So do you have any advice for women and getting them up and running?
2: Uh, yes, okay, so women, women getting back into the workforce... Okay, if you don't already have the foundations of financial education, build those foundations. Yeah. you. If you're re-entering the workforce, you will likely have some networks and trainings that may have kind of dried up a little bit. Yeah. Retouch retouch them um, to, to refresh them and build your network of fellow women. Because yeah. look, at the end of the day, they truly, truly understand what you're going through and they will be able to help. So never think like there's plenty of room for all of us, all women to reenter the workforce after birth, after divorce, after a dead husband or whatever. We're not competition for each other, but a woman who's been there, done that will be able to really, really guide you uh, back into the workforce. So look to them as your mentors and advisors.
1: It's kind of that thing of uh, the people that we surround ourselves with is who we end up becoming as well, right? So it's uh, exactly surrounding yourself with people that maybe you aspire to be like or, or uh, also women of influence that, uh, that you, uh, yeah.
2: Absolutely. Completely. And, and when you're re-entering the workforce, like um, surround yourself with these women and then ask your um, bosses and managers who will often be men for exactly what you need.
1: Oh, good shot. Good shot there. Here's a good one from Dion. Dion asked, what is the best advice I should give to my 17-year-old daughter about finances?
2: Oh my God, yes. Okay, I love this. 17-year-old daughter, um, (laughs) that money is actually really simple and fun. People have made it sound like it's uncool and boring because they want you to just leave it with them, you know? But it's actually really fun and engaging. So find, uh, so find other 17-year-olds like yourself and talk about money. It's all fun and games. You will get the hang of it, and you'll be fine at it.
1: Awesome. Good advice. I like this one. Mariam, Money Girl traditionally offered education exclusively face-to-face, right? So you used to uh, did, group yeah. training and whatever else. COVID-19, we understand, has meant that you've had to go online. This is very relevant for our education customers, right? So this has been a challenge, a challenge in education. Uh, How have you found that? Will you continue it? What a great question.
2: So look, I did find that challenging because I had no clue how to deliver education online. And so I actually had to turn to somebody on your team in ReadyTech to assist me in doing that because I had no idea. I always delivered uh, face-to-face and I'm great at it. I had no idea what tools to use, how to do it, what is done, what is not done um because adult education principles that work in person don't necessarily completely translate into an online space. Yeah. You have to you have to tweak um and so so it was challenging, but you know what? I'm glad it 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 pushed us into the online space because Money Girl, like any education provider, should had had the online vision, but more like for 2022.
1: Yeah, um, totally, totally.
2: Right, and we were yeah. like, we're gonna nail this right now, and then in the background, we're gonna start working on what will and will not work in online delivery. Yada yada yada. you know. So it was in the in the slightly medium term vision, but then COVID happened, and COVID was just like boom. Stop overthinking it. Stop planning. Just go ahead and do it Absolutely. because this is what people need in COVID, especially is. Yes. But even in in a, a normal world, world rural students needed, people with disabilities needed, um, people with all kinds of mums at home. People need access to education in their own time and space. Yeah. So it just makes it so much more accessible for them.
1: Uh, I think what you mentioned there, so I've spoken to so many, a lot of people and business leaders, CEOs the last few weeks, and uh, I think everyone's just been amazed at how obviously necessity becomes the mother of invention, and just what's possible when your backs are against the wall. Uh, you know, which let's hope all gives us huge confidence and momentum going forward that, that change can happen, right? Just another one here, uh, Mariam. Are we doing enough in Australia to teach entrepreneurship skills? I think we maybe talked about it. You want to touch on it again? Seems like education is a little bit lacking in this department.
2: I found that there is a clear distinction between some of the bigger institutions and some of the more specialized institutions. So I went to a University of Sydney. Um, And of course, like with with a research-based GOA kind of institution, no, we didn't focus so much on entrepreneurship skills, although I believe we're moving in that direction. But some of the more smaller specialized providers were like, yes, we know this is the future of work and we're on top of it.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, so again, it's the like creativity kind of comes does come from necessity. And when you're a giant provider who's like, I got so many other things to worry about, I'm not going to worry about this right now you just don't do it yeah. but when but yeah when you're when you're a smaller specialized provider i find that we we do much better in terms of teaching our people entrepreneurship skills but i think those are such a good skill set to go into not just for entrepreneurship it, it's just a good skill to teach your graduates because it makes them more independent and innovative just even even if they're just working within an organization yeah you no know, we need yeah. entrepreneurs as much as we need entrepreneurs
1: totally agree We've got one more. The question is, do you think we have a personal debt crisis in Australia? Oh, this is a good one. Uh, probably also linked to that is maybe what advice do you give your young women around uh,
3: debt?
2: Yeah, okay. that a
1: dirty word, debt?
2: Debt is not a dirty word. There is good. such a thing as good debt, okay? Yeah. Like my hex is good debt okay. because it has made it possible for me to unlock so many things in life. Do we have a debt crisis? Not in the same way as we do in America. Of course we do because I think our, our uh, debt ratio is something like 40, something. Anyway, for young people, we generally have a student debt that is not as harsh as the U.S. student debt because we don't get charged interest on it, even yeah. though it does get indexed every year. So that's depending on what you do with it. it is a, it's a good debt to have. For young people, increasingly the move towards buy now pay later schemes has meant that young people end up in high interest consumer debt without ever realizing it because it's all fun and games. They just sign up and it's an app and kind of thing and it's just done like that. Yeah, it's too Um, easy. So that is kind of an increasing stressor for young Australians is the buy now pay later, consumer consumer debt.
1: Yeah, totally. I was once advised that don't borrow money for a depreciating asset.
2: That's correct. You um that's,
1: like a car, for instance, right?
2: Yes, that will likely... Uh, yeah, that's bad debt. Well, no, <laughs> it's, it's a value. It's my value. I'm not saying it's bad debt for you. That's bad to say. But yeah, if you're borrowing, try to borrow for an appreciating asset because something like a car loses most of its value as soon as you drive off with it, whereas your education... We'll get you better returns. The idea is to put your debt towards something that will get you returns, yeah. higher returns than what you paid for.
3: Yeah,
1: absolutely. That's great advice. So uh, look, we've come to the end of the time. We've had an amazing 50 minutes. I've so enjoyed talking to you. Do you want to leave our audience with anything? Maybe a last piece of financial advice or um, another golden nugget? Maybe what would you have? uh, What would you love to have told the uh, the young Mariam that arrived uh, in Australia? What's what would the best piece of financial advice be?
2: Oh yeah, for for young Mariam, I would just tell her, "Girl, you will survive." Um, (laughs) But I would I would say that the best financial advice I ever read in a book by Robert Kiyosaki was: wealth equals spending less than you earn. It's as simple as that. There is literally nothing more complicated about money than spending less than what you earn yeah Um, most of us just don't sit down to figure out how much we earn and how much we spend and that's why those two reasons are the simple reasons we end up in debt and out of control of our money but money management is just as simple as that spend less than you earn
1: so uh i think do you think that it's very few people probably really do understand where their money goes
2: Oh, yes, because we like to bury our head in the sand yeah. um, and then only only come out of the sand when something like COVID-19 happens and be like, yep. well. I,
1: I was going to stop, but this other question came in and I, I just can't resist it, Marion. I'm going to ask you. Maryam, you arrived with 300 bucks. What would you do with that right now?
2: I would, okay, this is a tough one because the survivalist in me says, keep a roof over my head. But <laughs> the other the other part of me says, at that time, interest rates in Australia were high. This was 2013. Put it, put it in a high-interest cash account. So you had access to it, but you earn something on it. Yeah.
1: That's very sensible. But you've got to have fun with your money as well, right? Because it's there. It's an enabler for it. For that as well
2: right yeah and that's that's kind of so in money girl we teach you should always have a fun fund Fun fund fun fund and that's that's money that's dedicated from your budget to be spent on fun every month or whatever and you don't yep. feel guilty about it it's there to, the it's, banks
1: are doing a good job aren't they of helping us to have segment our money into different buckets now
2: that's right and you should always have zero fee bank accounts by the way and yep. then be with bank with a bank that allows you to have multiple accounts free of charge and put money, segment your money into uh, necessary spending, investing, giving. So charity and your fun spend and yeah. spend your fun spend without feeling guilty. Yeah. Is you it about
1: it? 90, 95% goes into that, that the fun fund? Is that about the right balance? Um,
2: yes. If, if, yes, right. <laughs> if, if you want to end up homeless, but you know. <laughs> um, put, put like, dep- depending on how much you want to like, uh, Oh, um, how much you earn? So five to ten percent in your fun fund is five
1: to ten percent. Okay, okay, I'm going to have to reassess. But uh, mariam look, thanks so much for being with us on Work. So I've just totally unabashed fan. Uh, you're <laughs> a fascinating person. We just love your energy. I think you've created a ton more fans out there today. So thanks so much for being on and sharing your story.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Mark.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, mariam and uh, everyone else out there. Uh, please, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, You can go to uh, readytech.com.au to find more of our work podcasts. Stay tuned. And thanks so much for listening. Mariam and I wish you a wonderful day.